Well, we're continuing our series today, uh, part four in our series called Story Time, as we look at some of the larger pictures or the larger narratives, larger stories, particularly in the Old Testament of the Bible. Story Time, part four. Today, it's saved by a boat. If you're using one of those red church Bibles, we're going to be on page uh, starting on page six in chapter six. And if I've got a couple of volunteers to jump up and make Bibles available to you, if you don't already have a Bible, someone will make those available to you. Saved by a boat, Genesis chapter six, seven, eight and nine. I love the outdoors. I love getting out into to, to nature. I love getting to the coast. I love getting into the mountains. I love driving through the valley. I love driving up into the foothills. I love it all. It's beautiful. But the natural beauty of Earth's landscapes is, is the stunning beauty of it all was not created the way you see it. What you see when you head out is not the way it was originally created. Much of the nature we enjoy, you know, the San Joaquin Valley rising up into the foothills or farther away places like Niagara Falls or the Grand Canyon or the upturned stone slabs of Vasquez Park down in Valencia or the massive tumbled boulders of Buena Vista Peak or Canyon View Lookout up there in Kings Canyon Park, all of Kings Canyon itself, right, or the barrenness of Death Valley or the, the rugged edges of the Pacific Coast. All these natural features of the earth that we enjoy so very, very much are the result of a cataclysmic, at least in part, the result of a cataclysmic historical event known as the Great Flood. The Great Flood. Most ancient cultures, in fact, have a flood story embedded in their cultural lore. People across cultures might make up stories, but they can't all make up the same story. It has a common source. It has to be true. Last night, I was asking um, Pastor Peng about uh, the Chinese New Year, and I said, so what is, you know, what number is this? And it's 4,700 and something year of. And I said, What's, what does that refer back to? He says, well, it refers back to the, you know, the first dynasty. He said, but some tradition says that it refers back to the time when the land came up out of the water. Interesting. That's a flood story. That's an embedded flood story of cultural um, significance. The Bible recorded the story of the flood. Jesus referenced the flood with the assumption it was true, as did the Apostle Peter in both First and Second Peter, as did the writer of Hebrews. The people of the Bible and the writers of Scripture believed the, the, the flood and accepted it to be true. They wrote about it for us. Now, old earth geologists and young earth creationists agree about one thing. Our planet was shaped by two things, time and water. One says a little water over a long period of time. The other one says a lot of water over a short period of time. But the two essential Elements. The Grand Canyon, for example, a young um, earth creationist would say the Grand Canyon is more likely to have been carved by a massive rush or a massive flow of water um, rather than the steady trickle of the Colorado River, Colorado River. And if that were the case, of course, maybe we would see many Grand Canyons everywhere there is a river. It's um, one of the one of the theories is that much of the central U.S. was was effectively a, a a gigantic lake 
that with, with a natural dam, and at some point that natural dam burst, and whoosh, that rush of water carved through while the, while the sediment, sedimentary layers were still soft, and that's how we get the Grand Canyon. I mean, if you can imagine that there had been a catastrophic global event, such as the flood, with massive fluctuations of temperature and atmospheric conditions, um, we'd, we'd see some evidence of that, right? We'd see great movement of, of, of all the earth and rock uh, with layer upon layer of sediment laid down quite quickly as waters receded and settled. We'd, uh, they, they would be shifting and the, the land would be drying up before those layers really dried and hardened. Um, those layers which would contain the fossilizing remains of plant and animal life. Remember, fossils can only form if they're quickly and rapidly covered and preserved. You can't have a fossil form if it's just up in the open air, not typically. Um, you, would have, you would have these sediments being laid down. You've got fossilizing things happening. You've got a, a great shaking and, and quaking of the planet that would lift up some strata, and you would have other areas that would drop and split apart. You'd have different kinds of of rock, depending on the heat and the, the, the weight of different things going down at different times. You'd, you'd, if there was a global flood, you'd expect to find evidence of things like oceanic residue on the tops of mountains and in the middles of prairies, which we do. You'd, you'd see tree fossils that would extend through mul- multiple strata of the earth, which, which you do. If you are ever at Hume Lake, take a walk to the end of the lake right before the... Right, um, actually past the dam where the, where the stream is. And look, you'll see in the granite, there's holes in the granite. My understanding is that it's very likely a tree fossil that was there. The granite, when it was molten, formed around the tree. The tree rots out, and that's what you're left with. So you've got these important things happening around the world. There's evidence. Now, you'd say, well, this is kind of crazy. That's a lot of water. I mean, to cover the entire earth in water, that's pretty hard to believe. A couple of years ago, researchers at Northwestern University and the University of New Mexico reported that the discovery of massive amounts of water uh, trapped inside of rocks some 400 plus miles below the Earth's surface. That's their estimate. 400. Mine, deep, deep mines might be a couple of miles deep, but we're talking 400 miles deep. And, um, and they think at least three, maybe four or five times as much water is in the oceans, all contained inside the Earth's crust. Well, could it be that the water not only came up from the depths, but returned to the depths afterward? I, I know. A, a cataclysmic global flood is an absurd thing to imagine. Right? It's just too much water to think about. Some of you right now, you're thinking about going to the restroom because I've been talking about water for too long. But friends, it's in the Bible. And for those willing to accept it as true, the evidence is pretty easy to find. It starts with, with what your assumptions are. But I'm not here to argue and I'm not here to convince you of the events. It's not my point this morning. I'm curious, however, to know if there's anything we could learn from the events as recorded in the Bible. But in the meantime, I would love to just poke your curiosity a little and get you thinking about things. Um, I'd encourage you to do some research on your own. There's just really good information available. My, my go-to group to start with is a ministry called Answers in Genesis. You can find them online at answersingenesis.org. Great resources. Um, I've got a few things you can borrow if you want to watch a video about flood formation and geological um, 
or flood impact on geological formations. It's, it's really fascinating stuff. But let's see what, what this is all about. Before we go any further, let's get the real story from Genesis, starting at chapter 6. So if you've got a Bible with you, I'd like you to stand with me as we read from God's Word. Genesis chapter 6, six starting at verse 9. Page 6 if you're in the Red Bible. Pretty easy place to start. Genesis 6 and verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I've decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar, or your translation might say pitch, inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Those are on the assumption that the cubit is a measurement of 18 inches. Some say a cubit is 20 inches, so it could actually be a little bit long, a little bit bigger than that. Leave an 18-inch or one cubit opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. Verse 17. Look, I am about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, and every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. And be sure to take on board enough food for your your family and for all the animals. So Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. Let's take a seat together. If you were to continue to read through chapter 7 and into chapter 8, you'd see that after all the work had been done, after the boat had been built and Noah was faithful, and the animals had, had come to him and gathered, and he loaded the boat, loaded the people, and they themselves got into the boat on God's instruction, and God himself closed the door. And then they waited. For a week, they waited. For seven days, they waited. Can you imagine what that week was like? Uh, Dad, you're, you, got the, you got the right date, right? Uh, Dad, it's been like four days we've been in this boat and there's nothing going on. But I can hear a lot of people laughing outside. Five days. Six days. Seven days. And then... The rain begins to fall and fall. And it, and it, it falls not just in little drops, but falls in torrents. And the Bible says that even the, the ground erupted, water erupted from the below the earth. And it says the floodgates of heaven were opened. And you know what it's like in the, here in Fresno when we get a day or two days of rain and suddenly it's impossible to drive properly. You certainly can't ride your bicycle anywhere because there's just massive puddles. Take that. Extrapolate that out for day and night and day and night and day for 40 
days and nights. And meanwhile, you've got massive explosions of water coming up through. You've got earthquakes. You've got volcanoes. You've got fissures in the earth. Remember that flood, that um, tsunami in Japan after that one earthquake a few years ago that destroyed the Fukushima nuclear plant? I don't know if you saw any footage of that, but massive amounts of, of, of land were, were transformed in minutes by one tsunami, by one earthquake. Imagine that, not not five times, not ten times, but maybe a hundred times or maybe a thousand times over as the earth is shaking and quaking and rocking and splitting open and continents are moving and water's gushing everywhere. And there's just absolute chaos. And this carries on day after day after day after day. The earth's look is changing dramatically. But before all that had started, God had given Noah instruction. He'd taken onto the boat with him a pair of all animals. And he'd taken seven pairs of animals that were the food and sacrifice animals. And he'd taken seven pairs of birds, according to God's instruction, because birds birds are birds, and sometimes they get away. I'm not sure why seven pairs of birds, but they lay eggs, and you can live on eggs if you need to. And and the, the flood continued to rise and the waters and and little by little that boat started to to float and and, and the the wood got just damp enough to to swell and fill the cracks and the pitch and the tar held its integrity when the boat rose up and it floated and they were safe and dry and secure while all life was destroyed And for five months, 150 days, they did nothing but play rook. (laughs) Or something to pass the time. Day after day on duty of feeding animals. And then the waters began to recede. And one day, the floating along all of a sudden the boat ran aground what's happened we're not moving the water is receding it's going down and they waited two and a half months and then they looked out and they could see the hills tops of hills around them Noah was pretty excited he waited 40 more days and then he let a raven out to fly around and see ravens are carrying birds and it can eat whatever might be floating and Then he sent out a dove to see what would happen, but the dove had no place to land, so the dove came back immediately. So he waited seven days, and he released another dove. and That dove also came back, but this time the dove had an olive branch in its mouth, and that means the olive trees aren't that big, so the water is definitely going down now. A new life is forming, and and things are coming back into life. And he waits seven more days, and he sends out another dove, and that dove didn't come back. That dove found a place to build a nest. Bugs and grubs to eat. They were on that boat for a year. An entire year. And then it says this in chapter 8, picking up at verse 18. Genesis 8, 18. It says, So Noah, his wife, and his sons and their wives left the boat. And all of the large and small animals and birds came out of the boat pair by pair. 
Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and there he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. I will never again destroy all living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter Day and night. And then God gave them new instructions. He said, now it's your turn. Be fruitful. Multiply. Fill the earth. Have lots of kids. Eat whatever you like, including animals. And God put fear into the animals so the animals would be afraid of them. They didn't need to be afraid of the animals. The the animals would fear them as continues often to be the case. But they were to respect blood and not not drink the blood of animals or eat the blood of animals. And they were not to murder or take life of one another. And they God made a new covenant that he would not destroy the earth again in that way. Look what it says in chapter nine. Now, again, at verse 18, at verse eight of chapter nine, God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants and with all the animals that were on the boat with you. The birds, the livestock, and the wild animals. Every living creature on earth. Yes, I'm confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. And God said, verse 12, I'm giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is a sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. And when I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds. And I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. Never again will the floodwaters destroy all life. Verse 16, when I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. And God said to Noah, yes, this rainbow is the sign of the covenant I am Confirming with all creatures on earth. And that rainbow is seven visible colors. Seven, that is a number of perfection, the divine number. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. The, um, some of you are thinking right now, well, I've seen the rainbow elsewhere. You're right, you see it on bumper stickers. You see it waved high in gay pride parades. A number of years ago when someone wanted to kind of create an emblem for the homosexual movement, they came up with a rainbow because they felt like it was a good biblical symbol of, of love and, and um, unity of all the earth. So it was created with eight colors. They added pink onto the flag to represent homosexuality. And it turned out that pink was not a viably reproducible color at the time. And so they had to drop the pink from production, and then they didn't want seven colors, they wanted an even number, so then they dropped the violet or the purple from the other end of the flag. So they have six colors in their flag. God said, it's a seven-color flag. It's a seven-color symbol. It's my symbol. You never need to apologize as a believer in Jesus. You never need to apologize for the rainbow. It's God's intent. It's God's design. God made it in that perfect number, the perfect divine number seven. And that's God's symbol. Whenever you see it, I want you to think about God's promise. Well, there's some lessons on faith that we're going to take from Noah's life. Four kind of thoughts on faith. But first, I just want to try to answer the question, well, why a flood? Why a flood? Or in this case, why an earthquake up in the children's church room? I'm not really sure. 
But they are marching around Jericho or something, I'll bet. It's, they're having a great time, I'm sure. Are they? Is that exactly what they're doing? No, that's exactly what they're doing. Don't worry, the rest of the building won't come down. It's just for il- illustrative purposes only. Well, God is a just... Here's why I think there's a flood. God is a just God, right? God is about justice. And as he watched the depravity of humankind, God's justice demanded action. He couldn't just do nothing. The Bible says the world was filled with corruption and violence. See, God hates corruption and God hates violence because corruption and violence go against the two, two of the essential components of God's creation. Life and community. So think about community, think about life. God created life, so here's the deal. Life is simply not ours to take. It just isn't. It's not our prerogative to take life. So, um, and yet violence takes life. God also designed us for community. But corruption undermines the function of community. When there's corruption, people can't trust each other. And without trust, you don't have community. So these two elements, the essential elements were being were under attack in corruption and violence. And God in his justice needed to bring judgment. But why water? Why not a fire? Why not why not a plague? Why not just have everybody kill each other off if they're so violent? Right? Or why not just you know, crumple up the earth like a like a paper ball and toss it away and start over again with a new planet or a, a whole new galaxy? Or why not just make Mars a cool place to live? Why why I mean God could have done any of that. Well, God's creation, I believe, is, is, was still good. God declared that creation was good, very good, when he made it. So there's no reason to start over completely. Second, the flood, the flood is a picture of grace. See, water symbolizes things like cleansing, new birth, new life, rebirth. The one physical act that we're commanded to, um, to, participate in or to to carry out as believers in Jesus, the one physical act is water baptism. Because it's a symbol or a sign of your washing away of sin and rebirth in Christ. I can't emphasize this enough. If you have not been baptized as a believer, friend, you're resisting God's instructions for you. Acts 2.38 says to repent and be baptized and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The flood is a picture of God's grace Because rather than burning up the earth or inflicting a global plague, which would have resulted in, you know, a badly contaminated, disease-ridden planet, God was washing and giving a rebirth to all he had made. Do you see how the flood demonstrates both justice and kindness of God? Truth and grace. Okay, what can Noah teach us about faith? First thing, faith builds the unseen. Faith builds the unseen. See, when Noah received his commission from God to build the big boat, right? No one had ever seen anything like that before. Most people, I'm sure there had been boats around for various bodies of water, but there had been nothing like this. Three decks, a football field and a half long, uh, 75 feet wide, over four stories high. This This is a big boat. And no mention of rain or flood before this event. So Noah, here you have Noah. He listens to an unseen God, obediently built a boat never before seen, containing all kinds of wild animals that he had not owned, under conditions never imagined, all done in front of people who didn't believe. You talk about faith. You talk about doing the impossible. 
The life of faith is all about building the unseen. There's so many acts in your life that you are committing to, to that act uh, because of what you can't see in the future. Josh, when you shared this morning in worship, that's an act of faith to say, I'm, I'm going to build a testimony here that has some, something to accomplish in someone else's life. You are building for the unseen. Students, when, you stay, or when you're diligent and you stay on your education, you're building for the unseen that somehow this stuff's going to matter down the road. I know it's hard to believe right now. Seems crazy and ridiculous, but it's going to matter. It's an act of faith. When you serve in the kingdom of God, whether you serve in the church or you serve in the community, some of the things that Sarah was talking about us before, you have faith that it's going to matter. It's going to matter in people's lives. It's going to make a difference. You're building for the unseen. When you take time in God's word, where you take time in worship or in prayer, you're, make, you're taking an act that's building for the unseen. You're believing it's going to matter and it's going to add something into your life and the lives of other people around you. When you invest in your marriage, when you read a good relationship book or you attend events like Couples Night Out or you go to a marriage conference, you're finding ways to take your marriage, which is meant to represent Jesus to the world, and you're making it better. You're having faith to believe you're building for the unseen. When you tithe and when you give above your tithe, you're being generous and you're giving to the unseen. You believe it's going to have an eternal impact in the kingdom of God. When you spend time in relationships, when you slow down to talk to that neighbor on the sidewalk, you show attention to their, to their kids. When you, when you call your mom, you call your kids, or you, you call your siblings, you're, you're participating in a way that says relationships matter and it's going to bear fruit in the long term. You're building for the unseen. That's what faith does. I want to take this point one question further because honestly this has bugged me pretty badly all week. I would ask this, is there anything in your life, or I asked, is there anything in my life, anything at all, in our church life, where we are in a position like Noah, that we have to trust God, and if God doesn't come through, we're done. Is there anything that's sort of big enough, like a big, massive boat in the middle of nowhere, saying, God said we should build this, I don't know. I don't really see it, but I'm going to build for the unseen. Is there anything like that in our life, where, where we're saying, God... We'll obey and we'll build the unseen, but if you don't provide, we're going to look like fools. Is there, is there anything where we're taking steps of faith big enough to believe that those who aren't saved now will be saved as a result of what we're doing? Are we building for the unseen in anywhere of lights? Are we just playing it safe everywhere? Are we just doing what we can afford and what makes sense and what's logical and, and what's safe and what's predictable and what we've done before? Because that's not going to bear Immediate. I mean, that's not going to bear long-term fruit. We've got to build for the unseen, the things that we don't know yet. Noah, Noah obeyed God and he trusted God with the outcome of his efforts. Noah built the unseen. And you know what? He was righteous for his faith. He was not even righteous for his actions. He was righteous for his faith. He was righteous because he believed God. He teaches us other things, though, about faith. Second point, I think, that we can learn from Noah is that faith swings a hammer. Faith swings a hammer. When God gave Noah that commission and the plan for the boat, Noah did not just sit back and wait for it to happen. Oh, cool. I'm going to get to ride a boat. Awesome. Right? He got the tools and he got to work. And sometimes we confuse faith with entitlement that, that if I trust God or if I'm involved in the church or somehow that, that there's, you know, it doesn't, shouldn't really be have any effort and, and God or the church or the family or whatever it is, it's just going to kind of take care of me. It's all just going to fall into place. That's not how it works. That's only partly... Um, well, I, I would just say this. You know this saying, good things come to those who wait? 
You know that saying? Good things come to those who wait. That's kind of partly true. Not fully true because good things come to those who diligently apply themselves and practice humility and generosity and maintain a faith-filled attitude and do the work and wait on God. That's where the good things happen. Faith swings a hammer. Some of you have said, I'd really like to get my education in some particular field. Okay, do it. Some of you said, I, I need a better job. Okay, improve your skills and go look for a better job. Maybe you said, I really need to get in shape and lose some weight. Okay, that's going to take some discipline. <laughs> the only way to be disciplined is to be disciplined. And a guy last week said to me, hey, I'd like to come to your Thursday morning men's group here at the church. And, and, uh, but it's, it's kind of early. It's 6.30 in the morning. I, I don't know if I can get up that early. And I said, well, let me tell you a little secret about how to get up early in the morning. The best way to get out of bed in the morning is to get out of bed. There's no substitute for simply doing it. Set your alarm and get out of bed. I had to learn that. We all have to learn that at some point. Um, Faith swings a hammer. Maybe you're saying, I'd really like to be married. Well, become a person worth marrying and look in the right places for a spouse. Maybe you say, my money is a mess. My finances are horrible. Okay, take a class, read a book, come to Financial Peace University, practice generosity. Maybe you say, my spiritual life is just dead, stagnant. I don't, you know, I'm just stuck in the same sins and habits and I never seem to grow. Okay, take your Bible seriously. Take, take God's word seriously. Believe your identity in Christ if you're a follower in Jesus. Act on what you already know and let God follow through. Maybe your marriage is in trouble. Your relationships are horrible. Find ways to improve it. Do the work. Don't just sit back and wait for somehow things to change. The faith swings a hammer. Don't make excuses for what you don't like about your life. Take God's promises seriously. Get to work. And there's another thing I love about Noah. When he was given the job of building the boat, he followed the plan. He didn't say, well, that's not bad, but I I think I can do it a little better. You know, I'll just build the way I want. And I don't really like ladders and heights, so I'm going to build a really short boat. Because I don't want to get all the way up there. I mean, have you ever been on a ladder over like two stories? I once watched a guy wash windows from an from a extension ladder on the fifth floor. I'm not kidding. No harness or anything. The ladder's swaying away. I'm like, no, no. People do that stuff. Noah can say, no, no, no. And he, he could have said, you know, I hate working with pitch and tar. It's so messy. I'm just going to build my own way. I'd like a lot more windows in my boat. And it's probably made it, you know, it's probably going to float because it's made of wood. So I'll like actually... Cut a hole in the bottom so I can look down and see what's happening. And no. Faith takes orders. He followed the plan and it worked. Faith takes orders. When God has a way of doing things, it's for your best. It's for your, it's for your own good. Um, I don't know if we have any Pinteresters in the room. Men, keep your hands down. If I see a man on Pinterest, I'm... Okay. It's for work, though. He has to do it for his work. Any Pinteresters? Really? Do you know what Pinterest is? Okay. Okay, a few. Okay, well, you know how on Pinterest people like make stuff and they put it up there in their various craft projects and baking things and, and then other people look and say, ooh, I'd like to try that. That looks really cool. And then they do and then that sometimes results in what we call Pinterest fails. You ever seen those? 
Here's, here's a few. Here's what happens. Oh, this is going to be such a cute Christmas thing. We'll put this on the card for the baby. But when they tried it, it looked like this. <laughs> or they said, oh, we'll make, we'll make something really nice for Christmas. We'll make like a little gingerbread mini village, just like it says in the kit. But they didn't really follow the instructions and it looked like this. Right? Oh, this one's good. Say, we're going to create this like glowing light jar. And it's going to be so pretty. It's going to be fantastic. And then they did it and it looked like this. Right? That's what happens. You don't actually follow the instructions when you don't take orders. Don't follow the plan. Your spiritual life can be like that, too. God has a right way of doing things. We get tempted to say, yeah, but I got a better idea. Yeah, that might be good for that person over there, but I'm I'm different. I, I can do this and get away with it. I, I It's not so bad for me to do it this way. I've got a better idea, but it won't work. If you're going to follow Jesus successfully... You've got to be willing to take orders, to follow God's plan in your finances, in your sexuality, in your relationships, in your worship, in your work, your employment, whatever it is, follow the plan. Faith takes orders. There's one more area of faith that Noah teaches us about. And I put it this way. Faith floats. Faith floats. Have you ever been out on the water with, without power, just, just floating some of you fish, you like to fish that way, or you're just on a, like a recliner, like a lounge on the pool or, you know, an inner tube. There's a place up in Canada where I used to um, vacation when I was a, in my teens. And there's, there's two lakes. There's, a, there's a, a city called Penticton and there's two lakes and people, and there's a canal between these two lakes and people like to go tubing between the two lakes. And it takes a few hours. It's not very far, but it takes a few hours because it's just this kind of very lazy river. And sometimes it just gets packed full of people. Just floating. Just floating. They're moving, but they're just floating. See, when you're floating, you can't be in a hurry. The destination is not even clear. It might almost seem like you're not going anywhere at all. It takes faith to wait for God's plan to unfold. The Bible doesn't tell us how long it took Noah to build the the ark, but it definitely took time, maybe 50 years or 70 years. And then life on the boat was 12 months, just floating, just waiting, just passing time, feeding animals, shoveling manure out the little windows out the top. Everybody gets on manure duty every day. That gets old. But in all that waiting, God was at work. God was renewing the earth. God was recreating things. God was saving this special family to repopulate the earth. It seemed like nothing was happening, but lots was going on. And maybe you know that God has made a promise to you. You have a future in Him. Maybe you've made some kind of commitment to God or to someone else. And you're doing your part, but it just seems like things aren't happening. Nothing's moving. Nothing's coming through. It just takes too long. And you're looking for answers, but the answers aren't coming. You're reading your Bible every day, but it doesn't seem to make any difference at all. It doesn't seem to come to life for you. You're praying, but there's been no miracle in your life. And you're giving, but your finances are still a struggle. And you're wondering, what is going on? Friend, faith floats. Sometimes it just goes a little slow. And all you can do when you're floating is relax and trust and float. Faith is not put off by the time it takes to see God at work. You might feel like you're drifting. You wonder if that loved one in your life is ever going to come back to the Lord. 
You wonder if you're ever going to get things figured out. You wonder if you're ever going to be able to get pregnant and have a child. You're whatever it is, and you're wondering, God, what's going on? And what you don't realize is that the wind of the Spirit is nudging you along, shaping you, forming you, preparing you for what's to come. And then all of a sudden, one day, you're going to look out the window and realize, oh, we're here. Oh, we made it. Oh, we've arrived. Oh, everything's green again. Hey, it looks beautiful. We're ready. Because you were steady and you were, fit, you were faithful to obey God's instructions for your life. Faith floats. I wonder where God is calling you to have faith today. I wonder where God might be challenging you to build for the unseen, for the future. What, what are the plans that God has for you to follow? What, where do you need to be patient and wait on God? Let's stand together as we close in prayer. God, you are really good to us. You are really good. You are patient. You are just. You are merciful. You are kind. And I just thank you so much for preserving this account of of Noah and his great boat. And Lord, we want to learn to have that kind of faith, to build for the unseen, to to pick up the hammer and get to work. Lord, to, to, to not be afraid to do things your way, to take orders, and to be patient when it's time to wait so that we can see the rebirth and renewal that you're doing in our own lives and the people around us. I'm just going to give a moment for this. If you're not a believer in Jesus today, but you want to be, I'm going to invite you just to raise your hand, look at me, and I'll pray with you after the service. You're saying, I want to give my life to Jesus. That's what I want to do today. I want to make a fresh start with him. I want to be forgiven and made right. Anybody like that today? All right. For the rest of us, the challenge this week is, where, God, where are you calling me to trust you? What, where, what's my boat? What are you calling me to build for the future? Where are you calling me to follow the plan? Can, God, can you help me just float this out in the places where I need to wait? God, I think that you're good and faithful and true, and we trust you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.